119. You'll be happy to know not all of Psalm 119. If you don't know what I mean by that, have a look at it. See the new year in? Yeah, well, you we can see the new year in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, okay. I hope you're sitting comfortably. <coughs> okay, so it's Psalm 119, 1 to 8, for the first eight chapters. Um, so, are you there? I'll start anyway. You can catch up. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts and kept them diligent, to, keep, to be kept diligently. Uh, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So that's where we are today. Now, so when I was younger, I was a young Christian. I'd probably been a Christian about a year, maybe two years. And I was in a Christian union in a, in a college in Wrexham, sixth form college. And, uh, and I met some really good friends there, and we thought, right, we're a little Christian union, we're following Jesus, let's do something good, we'll raise some money for charity. So being the great spiritual young Christians that we were, wonderfully on fire for Jesus, we were, we were very spiritual people, he says, we thought we would do a 24-hour Bible read. So, so we set this up, there was the Salvation Army in Wrexham, we'd been involved in youth work there, um, a group of us, and we thought, right, we'll do it here. They gave us permission. We set up a room so we could read, and then we set up another room so we could do some other things, and we read in shifts. And so I come round to reading the Bible. I don't know what time of night it was. It was probably sometime early in the morning. If you ever see me early in the morning, um, there we go. not good. So I was sitting and reading the Bible, and suddenly I hear someone say, Paul! And I'd fallen asleep, reading the Bible, mid-sentence, <laughs> open in front of me. I mean, you can understand, I'd been there for a long time, and we'd been reading it in shifts, but I'd fallen asleep. So I woke up, and I, and I carried on, and, and we did read the Bible, we didn't read it all, we didn't get through it in 24 hours, um, but we did a good chunk. And I share that with you partly because it's a funny story, but also because, actually, I'm going to be talking about the Bible, and reading the Bible, and how we read it, and why we read it. And that's what this psalm's about. Um, and I'm sure you've fallen asleep reading the Bible. You, you, you can be honest about that, it's fine. Um, I'm sure we've all done it. And sometimes we feel like it, even if we haven't done it, because not all of the Bible is very exciting. Sometimes, <coughs> is it? You can be honest about that. But that's what this psalm is about. It is about the Bible. Um, it's worded as the law of the Lord, the commands of God, his precepts, um, and it is the longest book in the Bible, so uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, um, which is why we won't be going through the whole thing today. But Robert Ruiz B, the Bible commentator and Bible study writer, says that this psalm is written to tell us about the vital work 
of God, of the word of God, in the inner spiritual life of God's children. And he goes on to say that it describes how the vital work of the ministry of the word enables us to grow in holiness, handle persecutions and pressures that accompany our walk of obedient faith, or obedient walk of faith. Which is a nice summary of this psalm. It's written to show us how to have God's word as important in our lives and guide our spiritual life and teach us how to follow Jesus. And the reason I do this today, by the way, is because it is the new year and a lot of us will start to make commitments today that we're going to read the Bible God's been speaking to me about, reading the Bible this year and trying to uh, get a bit more of the word into my life. And so I just want to show us the importance of that as I speak this morning. So I'm sure you've been asked questions or maybe you've asked the question yourself about how this ancient book has any meaning to our lives. Your non-Christian friends, your work colleagues, your family. How does this ancient book, how, it's a dusty old book to them. How does it say anything to us about how to live? But as I say, in this passage we see how God's word can shape our spiritual life. The Bible is a very practical book. It is a book that's given to us by God to show us his will, show us his purpose, and to tell the story of God in the world. And so it is helpful for us. And another thing to be aware of is that the author of the psalm, and we don't know who it is, it may be David, it doesn't actually say, but whoever wrote this particular psalm, this song of worship, was like most of us, or at least how most of us would want to be before God. He was devoted to the centrality of the word of God in his life. One of you are devoted to God's word, essentially, in your life. He acknowledged his own sinfulness. He humbly knew that he was a sinner before God. And I wonder, without beating ourselves up too much, whether we recognise that we are, as the hymn says, prone to wander. He knew the pain of God's discipline. He knew what it was for God to correct him as a loving father. I wonder if you know what that feels like. I know what that feels like for God to discipline me as his son when I've gone astray. And he knew what it was to suffer at the hands of the ungodly. All of this comes out through the whole psalm. And do go and read it sometime. He knew what it was to suffer at the hands of ungodly. And I'm sure many of us know what it is to suffer at the hands who don't, of those who don't love God. We all fit into those categories. We can see this psalm applying to our life. We can see this person, this man who wrote it, being like us. And so there's three ways, really, that he, he kind of sees the word of God working in our hearts. There's a command from God in his word, and then there's a desire of God for, for God's word that we have to have, and a blessing from God. So he says in verses 2 and 4 to 4 that he's laid down his precepts to be obeyed. God has laid down his precepts to be obeyed. So there is a, a, a command from God. It's not directly said here that God, is, God isn't directly commanding here to obey him, but he says that God has generally in his word put a command to obey him. 
We're to keep God's commandments. We're called to obey his words. We don't like the idea of obeying God. We don't always like the idea that God would call us to obey. He's our nice friend in the sky who loves us and gives us nice things. But he calls us to obey him. And it says at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3 that we have to seek him with our whole hearts, be blameless and walk in his ways. So there is a call to obey God and walk blamelessly with him. And anyone who has children, particularly older children, will know that you have to lay down rules for your children. And it doesn't mean you don't love them. We haven't had to lay down rules for my daughter yet because she's still very young. But there will be rules that we will lay down. And it's not an act of not loving your child that you lay down rules for them. It's because you do. Because you want them to go on the right path. Because you want them to be good citizens. Because you want them to know what is right and what is wrong. And even if you're not a parent, you're almost certainly a child of somebody. And so you know what it is to have those rules laid down on you. We don't always want to obey. But God has given us his word to be obeyed. But just having a command is not all that God wants to do. It's not just command us, but for us to have a desire to obey his word. This is a great verse. In verse 5, the psalmist says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your word. You can hear his cry, can't you? Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your word. There's a cry from the heart of the author of the psalm to obey his word. Not just because he's commanded by God, although we are, he is, but because he wants to. It's fine and good for God to tell us how to live, but without a desire, it's just rules, it's just law, it's just a religious system. But no, there's a desire. And what's the problem with that? Romans 3.10 says, no one's righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So like the psalmist, we desire, oh God, I want to be steadfast to obey your word. And yet the reality of our lives and the reality of his life was that he has sin in his heart. How do we live for God when that's the case? Well, we recognise for us, though there is sin in our hearts, we have a bigger reality as followers of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In Christ, you have been made a new creation. Your old sinful past has passed away. You have a new heart and you have a new nature. You still sin. Nobody is without sin. But you sin as a person with a new nature who is redeemed in Christ and made new in him. And because of that new nature, we're no longer slaves to sin and we can obey God with a desire in our hearts. People who don't know Jesus, don't have that new nature and only have their sin, 
in their hearts. They can be really good people, but they can't actually obey God in the way he requires them to because they have an old nature and sin nature. But for us as God's children, we now have a new nature and can obey him. And if you don't know Jesus, you can come to know him and have that new heart. So then we can spend time with him. And that's where, you, that's where we start, isn't it? If you're not sure where to go, I've got a new nature, I want to desire God. How do I desire God? Spend time with him. Best way to create desire for someone is to be with them. They say absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm not, not sure that it does. Being with someone that you love grows your relationship with them. <coughs> so this new year, go into God's presence and start spending time with him. It's hard to do sometimes, but I've been challenged again by God to do this. By his grace, by his spirit, in his word, growing to love him. We'll only love his word and love him as we spend time in it with his spirit's help. And ask for the spirit to help. And from that comes a blessing from God. Several blessings, actually. What are the results of obeying God's word? What are our results as we delight in him, as we come into his presence and grow to love him in our hearts? I'll just give you five things. There's obviously more than five. It's all over the Bible. But five things in this psalm that are sort of that come with a blessing from God. They're not, it's not the blessings themselves. There's all kinds of blessings that come. Five things that cause us to be blessed. Does that make sense? In verse 1, walking blamelessly according to the law of the Lord will, bring, will mean being blessed. Being blameless, walking blamelessly with him. We're not blameless, we're not perfect. But walking according to his word, in obedience to Jesus, being with him, and going to love him, he will make us more like him. It's called sanctification. It's the process of being made more like Jesus in our lives. That's a blessing as we spend time in the law of the Lord, desiring God. We will become more like him. And then in the beginning of verse 2, those who keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart uh, will be blessed. As we seek him with our whole heart. Do, how often do we seek God with our whole heart? How often do we give everything to him as we seek him? Probably not all the time, I should suspect. But as we seek him with our whole heart, he honours and blesses us. How he does that will depend. He knows us as his children. But there's a blessing that comes with seeking him with a whole heart and loving his word with our whole heart and keeping his testimonies, keeping his word with our whole heart. And only God can help us to do that, can't he? That he says, as we fix our eyes on his commandments, we will not be put to shame. Fix our eyes on his commandments. To fix our eyes is to consider, to love, to respect 
his word. As we, as we fix our eyes, as we keep our eyes on his word, as we love and respect and honour his word, we will not be put to shame, it says. That doesn't mean we'll never suffer. It never means there'll be no humiliation from our enemies, but it means that even as that comes, it won't be our demise, it won't finish us off. Because our eyes will be fixed on him. And though suffering comes and trouble comes, it doesn't defeat us because our eyes have been fixed on him, fixed on his word, and we know how to see his perspective in the face of that situation. You will not be put to shame, you will not be abandoned as we fix our eyes on him and his word. And I've known stories of Christians that have been in prison. They've had their eyes fixed on his word, but they've not been allowed a Bible in the prison. Like Brother Yun, the guy in China, some of you will have read his book. And when he was in prison, he knew God's word and he would, he would remember God's word. He would remember what he'd learned in the word. He'd remember verses and chapters and sections. So he wasn't defeated in that place. But he was able to draw on God's word even in that darkness. So we fix our eyes, get his word into our hearts, <coughs> into our heads. And we can always bring it to mind. And I find memorizing the Bible hard. I sometimes find reading it hard. We all do sometimes. But as we push on, loving his word, we will find his grace. Learning his righteous rules, it says in verse 7, gives us, will give us an upright heart and help us to praise him. Become more like him. Again, it's that process of sanctification. That process of becoming more like Jesus. And it means we can praise him with a clear conscience. When you come to worship God, when you come to church to worship, when you worship him in your own home or whatever, as you grow in his word and know his word, we can praise him with an upright heart. We don't need to be condemned in his presence. And then it says that he will not forsake us. He will not forsake those who keep his commandments. Not forsaken by God. God will never leave us, nor forsake us. As we keep his commands, fix our eyes on him, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. John Calvin says that being put to shame isn't, and, and not being forsaken is not about not being brought low by adversity, but that when trouble comes, as we walk close to him, keeping his word, it will not destroy us. So it's similar to what I said before, it's very similar to that, and it all ties into the same thing. As we keep his commands, trouble will not destroy us, and he will not forsake us. And so I want to challenge you this year, coming into the new year, as you're doing your devotionals that you've made a New Year's resolution to do, or as you're uh, doing your Bible in a year, as you've made a New Year's resolution to do, I'm going to try and do a Bible in a year. Um, as you're doing your reading your books that you said you're going to read this year, or your commentary that you're going to read, or you're studying the book of the Bible that, that you, you challenge yourself to study, um, or whatever it might be. Um, or you're going to read the whole of Psalm 119 in one sitting, uh, or something like that. I've never done it, honestly. 
it's hard. It is. It's a good psalm. But as you're doing all these things, remember that God's word transforms you. God keeps his promise. That he never forsakes you. And that you become more like him as you spend time in his word. God is faithful. I want to pray for you. And if you pray with me. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you bless us as we spend time in your word. Thank you that you will not forsake us. And I thank you that you are with us and that your word grows love for you. And I pray for every person here that you will give us all a love again for your word. And it's great at the beginning of a new year to come back again and think about your word. So give us a love for your word. And fill us with your spirit because your word and your spirit work together. Fill us with your spirit to help us to understand your word. Bless every person in this room with a new love for your word, a new passion to obey your word, and a new heart to long after you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.